The um, uh, but uh, but Zach, what are we talking about today? Uh, we're talking about John Carpenter, the, the master of carpentry and horror. Like I don't know if he. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he doesn't know dick about carpentry. I mean, he composed the soundtrack. I well, you know, yeah, he did do the soundtracks for many of his movies. Yeah. So that is very, very true. It's very right, true. direct composer. and compose, which is and produce. Yeah, that is why somebody hired him for Elvis is because they said he knows music, he could do Elvis. <laughs> he did Elvis. Oh shit, that's yeah, right. He did do Elvis. Kurt Russell. Yeah, um, yeah. that was before Halloween, I think. Yeah. Was it? Was it right before or right after? It's right I thought after. it was after. I thought it was right, after. Right after. He's got a big crush on Kurt Russell. I've noticed. Like nobody really talks about right after. that. I mean, Kurt Russell was he, great like, for the time. Of, yeah. Yeah, I mean, a lot of films that he's Kurt Russell that. is still great. Bunch of, uh, bunch of directors that really like one actor. Oh, yeah. Hitchcock and Jimmy Stewart. Yeah. Johnny, Johnny Depp, Depp and Tim Burton. Yeah. I'm pretty sure Tim Burton has no idea that there's other actors out there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Scorsese and De Niro. And Scorsese Pesci and Leo. And, and Pesci. Scorsese uses Leo now? Does he? Yeah, he does. Yeah, he's used him, I don't Before know how many Street, times, bro. Uh, yeah. Shutter Island, Aviator, Gangs of New York, yeah. Wolf Which, of Wall Street. Which, for the record, Johnny Depp has not been in Tim Burton's four last movies. So, are you sure? Yeah, because he sh- finally figured out that there's other actors. <laughs> the, I guess that was when that meme originated, probably. And Johnny Depp's like, "Shit, I'm gonna have to sell my second <laughs> island." Because <laughs> if I don't have Tim Burton movies to, to finance it, I'm only gonna have the Pirates movies. Oh, he had Disney into Disney, <laughs> and they're rebooting them. those. So, with Zac Efron. But that's oh uh, God! Wait, why? Now, is it. that actually a thing? I, apparently, it's a apparently it's a thing. Yeah. Let's face it: Giant Depp's career has been downhill since Transcendence. The hell is that? Exactly. Well, the uh, yeah, that's definitely uh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Man. yeah. Never saw that. Um, actually, I'm pretty sure I didn't see that because Brandon told me not to see that. It was pretty bad. The, um, it is proof that the transition from cinematographer to director does not always work. It was, oh, okay. it was directed by Christopher Nolan's DP. Oh. And then it flopped, and Nolan has not used him as a DP since. So Yeah. Uh, well, shit. Yeah, that definitely is. So let's. So this is a uh, recommendation by David. Yeah. Uh, David! David! So when David, uh, David joined the team, he actually wrote a shit ton of different ideas in a journal. Mm-hmm. This is one of many. And is that the, do you actually have the journal today? Oh, yeah, oh my me. God, I'm so glad that you actually brought it today. Yeah, so we we'll, look, we'll pursue, pursue that a little bit later, peruse that a little bit later. Journal! The uh, journal! The, uh, so, since this was your idea, sir, then maybe you should uh, go first. Oh, yeah. And then go sure. that way. Uh, well, I mean, I guess we could talk about my favorite John Carpenter film, and it's Halloween. Basic. It is not basic. Um, Don't be a douche, Jack. That, that, that is kind of the basic white girl pick of the John Carpenter movies. <laughs> that is the pumpkin spice latte of John Carpenter oh movies. Oh my god! No, thank you. Or the Ugg boots of John Carpenter films. The Ugg boots. Hey. <laughs> True, but it gave birth to an icon that we, you know, love and, and talk about today. Eh. Nah. I don't know. I don't really get along well with you Michael. Don't. Yeah. No, you don't. You have, uh, piss every Michael you see off. Every and I don't icon. intend to. That's the thing. What do you mean you don't intend to? I didn't intend to. No, he did. I was going to say, that's not <laughs> the vibe we got. All right, could you please tell this story so, so the audience yeah. knows what the fuck we're talking about? So it was at the New Jersey Horror Con. Um, the 
first occurrence happened was there was a guy in a Michael Myers costume and a guy in a Jason Voorhees costume, and we all, all got pictures with them, and they played a little rough, too. Like, they would actually, like, grab your neck and make it look like they're going to, like, slice you with their machetes and knives and all that. It was awesome. And yeah. Zach got his picture first, then David, then me. I was the last one. And when I was done, I just turned to them and I asked them, so what would a conversation between Jason Voorhees and Michael Myers be like? And then, Zach, I'll let you take over this part of the story. Well, one shoved him, the other pushed him, and then somehow he ended up grouping back in with us. Yeah. But here's the thing. He kind of asked the question like, so, what would a conversation between Michael and Jason be like? I asked it like a talk show host would ask it. I call bullshit (laughs) on that, but okay. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. Now for the second incident. And then the second incident was we were walking to a restaurant i think this is the last night of the convention and we passed by another guy in a michael myers costume and i just kind of got guy's attention i said to him i loved you in halloween and he (laughs) gave him the utmost death stare for like a good minute and a half as we're walking it's like and i don't know why because i gave him a compliment look you don't talk to michael brandon so so something that our audience needs to know is is Brandon is a is a lot of things, but he's secretly a very very good troll, um, <laughs> yes, uh, like a really good a troll, prankster dude. and troller. I um, wasn't trying to. The, um, uh, dude, Brandon's an asshole. The, uh, I swear he's gonna troll the wrong slasher and then shove a machete up his ass, and he might actually like it. I'm the puppet of real boy. Sure. Jesus Christ. The, um, uh, and Zach's going to be like, oh, I wish that happened to me. And after that, he's still going to troll him. <laughs> you shoved knives like a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't feel that. Fucking turn to Jason and be like, I bet your mo- mother does a better job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so no, no stopping him. He's a Beast. Like drop. <laughs> so we were talking about Halloween, right? I think maybe yes, we were. Brendan's definitely the Freddy of the group, the ultimate shit talker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, my uh, my favorite John Carpenter is the you know spice latte of John Carpenter films. <laughs> white girl special. So don't judge me. The the the, the can't even of white. Why do you love it? Why do you love it? Tell us why you for, love it. For one, is the the steady cam use. I think like oh, he's yeah. one of the directors that really originated the use of the steady cam and using it for like POV shots, which is really one of, one of my favorite um, types of shots to to tell a story. Is the POV, and I think he did a freaking awesome job. So yeah, he's a master of steady cam shots. Um, also, with the lack of gore, so him building up tension not only with uh, the types of shots he was using. Uh, or um, building tension with his uh, composing, with his sound design, which was freaking awesome. And his uh, iconic motif with uh, Michael Myers kind of chasing uh, Jamie Lee Curtis around. So that's definitely why I loved uh, Halloween, for me, at least. Yeah, there's a uh, it's there's a great documentary, um, and the one part of when you're talking about the POV that I remember is they cut out all the sound, you know, the actual onset soundtrack for obvious reasons. But uh, Jamie Lee Curtis was saying, like, if you actually heard that audio soundtrack, all you would hear is, like, a shit ton of noise. 
because people the this the everybody behind the scenes is literally moving all the furniture as the fucking camera goes because oh, nice. they didn't have the budget for furniture so they would actually move the lights and some of the furniture <laughs> as the camera was going up the stairs so they literally they literally didn't even have enough money to like complete the whole house and make it look all nice and pretty like it's new yeah. and everything else so they um so it, they just use what's in frame and they practice all yeah. of it like it's a choreographed dance. And they're like, we're only going to show this and then this and then this and then this. And literally just just this little box of things that are nice and pretty in there mm-hmm. and everything outside of the frame is a fucking disaster. The, uh, and, and, and that's how they got the shot. They just move lights as they move the camera up the stairs, which is pretty fucking dope. Yeah, it's just like he's moving up the stairs. Take the elevator, take the elevator. Go, 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 go. And then he did what? I think he directed the Halloween two as well, right? No, no. he uh, wrote it. He wrote it. Yeah, he yeah. wrote the first three Halloweens, but he was not credited for Halloween three. Okay. There were like two other he screen. Did, there but, were like two other screenwriters for Halloween three that were not credited. Okay, but he was producer for Season of the Witch, yeah. right? Yeah, he was a producer and writer on the first three. Mm. Okay. Speaking of that, I got a question here for you guys oh, boy. with Season of the Witch. Um. If they took the name Halloween out, do you think that the movie would have been a little bit better as it, you know, season the of the witch? The movie's good as it is. The title has nothing to do with the quality. Well, in general, like, do you think that like, it would have Do I think it would have been well-received? Yeah, well-received. As a, well, I mean, the idea of spinoffs in that regard weren't really in vogue at the time. Yeah. So I don't think, I think the audience... It, I think there I wouldn't the have been a backlash over it, but I don't know if it would have been more like i don't think it would have been received better or anything i just think there wouldn't have been as much of a backlash correct because you go to halloween expecting to see michael Michael and then when you don't get michael it's like well what the fuck the um and i i don't think if they had to change the title there wouldn't have been that much focus on it and i think it would have just died in obscurity at best even even the director tonally wallace said that the title is both a blessing and a curse because the halloween name is what got the movie made in the first place but the halloween name is also what caused all the negative remarks yeah. towards it upon its release yeah. it's personally my favorite of the series are you so. saying that because tom atkins is in it no i think it's a legitimately interesting movie and it has tom atkins in it oh uh, yeah see there, there it is Brand, brandon has a crush on tom atkins what man doesn't the uh i don't oh. <laughs> look tom oh, come atkins, on you totally do Mark. tom atkins is amazing in every movie he's in yeah. it'll be a shitty movie he is still amazing in it yeah. but he cannot save the movie it's still a good movie I think it was a good movie. Uh, okay. Mm-hmm. And of the first it. three Halloween movies, it is the one that feels most like it takes place at Halloween. <laughs> in that, this eh? movie. I would on. say they're all equal in that department. Well, with the exception of part two. Yeah, not so. in the suburbs in July. It's crazy. I mean, like, in, uh, going back to Halloween, it was filmed for like five hundred and twenty five thousand dollars or something the first one or yeah, first one i think Pen- it was like three hundred thousand oh three hundred no it was three hundred twenty five thousand because yeah. they had to pay um what's his face um the guy played uh, loomis um an extra 25k yeah. that's what they donald pleasant really? pleasant they had to like that's the reason why it went up to i remember like um their one producer guy and and also the distri- distribution guy mustafar was like mm-hmm. yeah that's the reason why it's 325 opposed to just 300 um because we had to come up with the extra 25k for Donald Pleasance to get that five days of work or whatever the hell he did. Damn. Yeah. So they um made for fucking nothing. Nothing. They they painted they painted leaves. 
They literally painted leaves and they <laughs> threw them in a fucking trash bag and then I put them out there. They're trying to make California look like Haddonfield, Illinois. Yeah, yeah, in the middle of that. October. Yeah, that's yeah. oof. They, uh, and they they were so poor they could they they had to keep the same bag of leaves. Yes, yeah. like there were stories of them like <laughs> doing the shot and then and then um uh, John Carpenter's girlfriend at the time, um I always forget her name. But she's like, go, um, uh, Deborah Hill, like, go, go, go and get the fucking leaves. And there they go, we can't lose them. And then they go pick up the same leaves and they put them in trash oh, bag and go bag them, bag them, bag them. Like, that's how they, the, John spent all the money on the, the cameras, the sound and the, and the editing. Yeah. Like Post. he, it was all the, like all the technical aspects of that movie. That's where all the money went. Yeah. Did he edit it himself, or did he have somebody else um, edit it for him? He might have. Because I know he composed it, he wrote it, directed I it, but did he edit it? I don't think he did. The um, I remember the one editor of our... was Charles Bornstein and mm. Tommy Lee Wallace. Oh, okay. which oh. Tommy so he... Lee Wallace went on to direct Halloween Three, mm. um, and he was also the production designer for Halloween as well. Okay, he was so, a production designer and editor. Yeah. And then, of course, as the cinematographer, we had the great Dean Cundy, um, which there's actually on the ASC website. This is a paid video, actually, um, but the four of us should probably watch it at some point. There's actually a roundtable discussion about horror cinematography mm. with Dean Cundy talking about Halloween, uh, Daniel Pearl talking about both the original and the remake of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and Michael Goy, who is probably most famous for American Horror Story Asylum as a oh, DP. Sure. He also directed the uh, sequel to Town the Dreaded Sundown, which also looked amazing. But cool. yeah, there's a roundtable discussion with those three about horror cinematography that we should probably watch cool. at some point. Okay. Cool. Yeah. But uh, I can't believe he was the fucking set designer and the, and the editor. Well, I mean, you do what you gotta do. The, uh, yeah. you know, he's like, those, are, those are two jobs that are very hard. Fuck sleep. At that point, yeah, no shit. Um, but and I, I do like the first three Halloween movies. I do like Halloween. It's I just the third one is personally my favorite of the series, and uh, like Halloween was my first John Carpenter mm-hmm. movie as well. Um, and even though it's kind of the one that ushered in the tropes of the slasher, it's unbiasedly looking at it today. It is just the tropes of the slasher genre. Yeah, it's um, a very done well basic horror film in my or a bar, very basic slasher film in my but opinion. it's also it was a hired job for john carpenter rather than being a like john carpenter movie one that he mm-hmm. really wanted to do from beginning to end he was he wanted to make westerns he was a director yeah. for hire for halloween yeah, yeah he wanted to make um, he was a big fan of, of ford yeah so it's like there are other movies particularly my favorite of his that I think the, the passion he had for the project definitely comes through a lot more in some of his other work than in Halloween. Fair enough. Fair enough. David, anything else you want to add about Halloween and why it's awesome? Well, I mean, no, that was pretty much it. Um, I, as a director, I, I'm a big fan of John Carpenter with... the. He only uses gore when it's necessary to the story, like with the thing. Basically, um, when he's building up tension with the husky when he's when he I think it's the beginning of the shot when um they're shooting at the dog and he's like running down mm-hmm. the the mounds or whatever and then we're like we're constantly seeing just this shifty kind of dogs like what what's going on with this it's un like an unknown um that we're we're looking at until like the reveal of the the creature alien kind of bursting out of the dog to the end and mm-hmm. I I think um 
uh, special effects artist. I think his name was uh, Rob Bottin. Bottin. Yeah. So uh, he was, man, the, the, the creatures and the props that were on that set were freaking amazing. So well, the I mean, I I was the last thing I was gonna say about Halloween though was the it just it's two things. It's one, it created every almost every trope that we know in horror, um, for better or for worse. It it pretty much created it. It created all the cliches, all the cliches, the tropes, That's, and everything else. Yeah. So, um, and then also too, it, it's it's proof that that you can make a movie with 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 very with little. Everything else, and also, yeah. also proof that less is more. Less is more. Yeah. The, uh, because had Halloween had a huge studio budget, it wouldn't be the classic it is. No, it would be it overblown. Would. It would be it would be Halloween four. It would, it would be <laughs> yeah. Rob Zombie's Halloween. Oh, or that. Or that yeah. yeah, yeah. That's what happens when you have. Well, you know, well, that's Rob Zombie. But that's that's another time for another day. I still think it could have done with a little bit more gore. There was like next to none in those movies. You know what it was it wasn't necessary. The mm. um it, it, it was it wasn't necessary. Even though you don't you may not like that. That's you yeah. know your personal taste is to have more gore and more stuff. Yeah. But it it wasn't necessary. It's the same thing with Jaws. Like it, it, it wasn't necessary to show. But even Jaws the shark. had more gore and like it did towards sure. the end. More but of a visual like mm-hmm. appearance than Halloween ever did. Oh, fair enough. It's more for like them trying to re- reveal a gag. Like it's it's more powerful when when we do that. The you know so the like, scariest the scariest monster is the one that you create in your own imagination. Yeah. The um and the last the last shot of Halloween um is is probably the best the best thing is when when the body disappears and then they just show shots of back alleys mm-hmm. and random places and this motherfucker could be anywhere and then <laughs> have a good night the, <laughs> as everybody leaves the theater especially for like the first one like I could forgive like not having the gore for the first one because it's it's the first time we're introduced to Michael Myers you know and then after with horror like where do you go from there yeah that's why you have so much gore for the other ones but. And then yeah. even then, the like the series never picked up with a gore count. Like, I think the goriest kill I've seen, at least in the original movies, was in four when he rips a guy's face off yeah. while he's driving a car. But that's it. Like that was like the most interesting kill we got. Everything else was just kind of like bland or basic. I don't know. There was that woman in Halloween two in the hot tub that he like turned it up to like boiling and just like basically eh. water boiled. That's boiled her in boiling water. That's just heat. Fair enough. <laughs> and even then, they could have done more with that, but they didn't. It's just, eh, her face is a little red. Yeah. Fair enough. So, David, anything else on Halloween? You good, brother? No, good for Halloween. Cool. See it. It's great. Zach? Um, anybody seen The Thing? <laughs> no. No, no. What's The Thing? No, never heard of it. No, have no really? idea. It's a good time. You should go watch it. Please. <laughs> um, yeah, me and Brandon share the same uh, movie. Uh, mine is The Thing. I'm kind of curious what our reasons for picking the thing are, because I have a feeling my reasons are Your reasons are probably different. Me, I'm a sucker for creature features. Mm. I think the thing is a really cool-ass creature. Um, a very yeah. yeah, like the way it kills people and tries to like take over and manipulate things. I think that's fucking sick and awesome. What's your favorite uh, favorite um, uh, effect or uh, you know thing, you know, scene that the, the, the monster does? All its cells are like its own individual creature. Like as long as one cell remains... It can infect anybody yep. and everybody. It may take a long period of time, but it can. So, like, when the head falls off and it gets, like, those little leg things. Yes, pretty yeah. great. That's its own thing. The body is its own thing. Everything is its own thing, which is fucking awesome. Now, I wish the prequel would have been 
I don't know. I hear there was... I, I, there was I, a, I say release the director's cut of the prequel. Yeah. Um, it's like... From, what was it? The Good Bad Flicks episode? Yeah. Yeah. There was a lot of cool shit that they uh, talked about in there that seemed pretty awesome. They but... do show some behind the scenes. He does show some of the behind the scenes footage of some of the practical stuff that eventually got covered up with CG and the practical stuff looks so much better. Yeah, never. And the ending was also completely different as well. Yeah. Dude, my favorite still the uh, um, the paddles. The um, uh, defibrillator. Yeah. I was yeah. going to say paddles. Yeah. What the hell? Uh, the paddles, the defibrillator is the same. You know, they, they call it the paddles. The, um, uh, the, yeah. Yeah, was, the... Have any of you actually ever read the Thing comics? No, no. Never, 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 I have some of them, but I haven't not. read them yet. They're really good. Um, I think there's a total of three series of comics. I've only read two, so there's the one that takes place directly after, and um, shit just kind of picks up. The thing starts taking over shit again, and all that. And eventually, you end up in the jungle of. <laughs> huh. That's a stretch. Yeah. Wow. Um, I don't know. It's it's pretty cool, but Brandon, you go ahead and talk. Uh, yeah, The Thing is also my favorite John Carpenter movie. I love the cast in it. It's just drenched in paranoia. It's actually creepy. And I actually saw this one not too long ago in the theater. It was a 70 millimeter print, and nice. I saw it with Justin. Unfortunately, the color started to fade on the print, so it wasn't the most pristine, but it was still... Hearing that soundtrack on speakers that big was awesome. Um... I love the blood test scene, which I realize is kind of a cliche at this point, but there's a reason that scene still holds up because oh, it's, it's like, it's uh, with how many times I've seen that movie, I still forget the exact moment that it, that the blood basically just pops up Yeah, and the sound effect they use. It's like, it just gets me every time. Yeah, and it's like, I, I know the line where it happens. I know the moment, but whenever I'm actually watching the movie, I lose myself in it. And I always forget the exact moment it happens. So it's like to, to fool me that many times, time and time again, it's there's something special about that movie. Yeah. Um, Kurt Russell's awesome. Keith David's awesome. Um, it really does have a huge cast when you really think about it. Because like, yeah, I think it's like it's an outpost in Antarctica. But mm-hmm. um, when I got the uh, Mondo made a board game based on it. And the board game is okay. But they do have character cards for, like, every cast member in it. So when you see, like, the cards spaced out and you actually see how many characters there actually are, it's like, oh, wow, this is... As isolated as they are, it's nowhere near as small of a cast as you think. Um, It's shot really well. It, For the most part, I think it was shot on stage. I think there were some location shots. Um... But that is a movie that just feels cold. Yes, um, yeah, I agree on that. Like, just like watching it. E- even when I saw The Revenant, which was actually shot in those conditions, I was like, I don't feel cold watching this. The thing, I feel cold watching it. Um, so I find that interesting. Um, yeah, it's every moment works. Everything leads to something else you never really know who is who and it does leave you something to chew on at the end of is keith david's character the thing is he not there are a lot of theories going one way or the other um and it is and it's the first part in john carver's apocalypse trilogy for good reason because you have the one character who realizes if this thing gets off antarctica and into civilization 
that's it for the world. Like, it's gone. And so he just, like, destroys, like, their communication systems and the helicopter, I believe, and just goes absolutely berserk, just doing whatever he can to make sure that nothing can ever get the thing off of Antarctica. Um, yeah, it's just a classic movie. Uh, I think it was the second John Carpenter movie I saw, and I remember I rented the DVD off of Netflix when I was in middle school. Wow. Taking it back. Taking it back. Back when renting DVDs off the internet was a thing. Yeah. The, um, um, and it's had some really good Blu-ray releases, too. Uh, mm-hmm. Scream Factory did a 2K scan of it for their first Blu-ray of it with the transfer supervised and approved by Dean Cundy and... At the time, I thought it was the best Blu-ray transfer of a 1980s horror movie. But then Arrow, over in the UK, uh, did a 4K scan with involvement of both John Carpenter and Dean Cundy. And I heard that transfer looked even more awesome. And then Scream Factory released a steelbook with a disc with just that transfer on it. And I was like, okay, I'm getting that. Yeah, And it looks amazing. Um... I, I, there, there's so much to talk about with that movie. It's a, it's a fucking fantastic movie. It is a fantastic oh, yeah. movie. Um, the prequel... It was okay. It's, it's okay. not a bad movie, but no. it's like when you hear the story behind it, you're when, just when, left yeah, with when you, disappointment. When, when you hear what the director wanted and you see what we got, it's... <sighs> It's truly just like, like I said earlier. It's release the direct and people talk about releasing the Snyder cut of Justice League. I say release the director's cut of the Thing prequel. Is it even possible? <laughs> yeah, I believe he finished his cut. So there is a there, there may cut there out may there. there may be some visual effects that need finished, but as far as I can tell, I do believe there is at least a finished edit at the very least. Okay. Because um, I was under the impression that like something happened he did behind all, he, the he, scenes he and did, he wasn't able to finish it. He did also have a lot more practical effects in it, so yeah. there probably wouldn't be as much CG in it anyway, which would help. Um, but yeah, it's, I, I do want to I do want to watch the Good Bad Flicks episode again because it is one of his better episodes and it really does shine a light on how much movies can change from original conception to finish what we get when the um, movie is released what's it saying yeah. you, make, you, uh, you make you make it a movie three times the um, uh, when you write it when you shoot it when you edit it and when you release it yeah. and that's actually something that our one of our teachers at school a few said. teachers have said that um, it's a common phrase yeah because so. yeah. the audience always brings something to it themselves yeah. oh yeah of um, course the um, yeah and that's actually my that's tied uh, for my favorite um, uh, um, Kurt Russell performance, um, right next to Backdraft. Um, I saw Backdraft. Uh, uh, great, really good movie. Yeah. Really good movie. Um, Solid movie. Definitely, definitely. Make it. He's a got. He. You know what? I can't decide if he's more of a prick in in this movie or in Backdraft. I think he's a little bit more of a prick in Backdraft. <laughs> um, actually, I also really like the music. Ennio Morricone. Uh, one of the few scores that John Carpenter did not do for his own movies, but yeah, Ennio Mor- Morricone is probably most famous for spaghetti westerns like The Good, Bad, and the Ugly. Nice. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting too, it, uh, somehow Ennio Morricone got nominated for a Razzie for worst score for the thing. Um, but there were some weird Razzie choices in the 80s. Like Stanley Kubrick got nominated for worst director for The Shining. I don't know. But, but well, that's know that. still oh, mind blowing to yeah. me. But yeah, it's a good score. And then like years later, 
uh, for Quentin Tarantino's The Hateful Eight. Uh, Tarantino said the two biggest influences on The Hateful Eight were Reservoir Dogs and The Thing. Um, <laughs> so yes, Tarantino inspired Tarantino. The circle is complete. Um, <laughs> when I left you, yeah, I was uh, murdered. No, Tarantino I, was his own and, and Tarantino always uses uh, source music. So this is the first time he had an actual score. Other than like one music cue done by the RZA and Kill Bill, um, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so this is the first time he had an actual score, and Marconi used a lot of unused tracks of the thing for it. Um, and there was also one moment where Tarantino used uh, part of the score from Extras 2, also done by Morricone, uh, which when I saw Hateful Eight in the theater, and the, the part where the Extras 2 score is pretty early on, it's like that part played, and I was like, oh, that's the score from Extras 2. I don't know if I'm proud of myself for recognizing it. Uh, hmm. But yeah, the music's really good. John, um, he got a fucking Razzie for, for director, and, and that was the same year that Xanadu came out. Just to put you in some perspective about what the yeah. fuck they. Oh think yeah, the thing was led. not well received upon initial. No, release. I know that. Yeah, like, it was. At he, all. he got um, uh, which I know he had to do Christine right after that because because it, he needed work. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's it still just shows like how opinions change, and it's like I'm eighty two. That was the year of E. T. And this, I don't know, you, you hear like people were just like, they just didn't want a hostile alien after seeing E.T. And I was like, what does one have to do with the other? Yeah, they, like, can, how, they how, can come from like, different planets. Like, yeah. it's, it's like, so because you liked E.T. means you can't like the thing. Like that never, like the logic behind why it's a com- so many people went against the thing. And it also just shows just like how biased a lot of um people are against horror movies it's a lot of that too and it's a lot of uh a lot of commercial commercialism there yeah um with with the marketing yeah. department being i'm gonna like, say more towards like, the commercialism thing because yeah. it's like 80s was like the prime time for, for horror, horror. and it, you fucking know, loved it. It, it but that was the very beginning of the 80s and then also too you know uh that was a huge threat because et was making a fuck ton of money and it was it was a very modest modest budget mm-hmm. um, it was a very low budget for most of what Steven Spielberg did it was also family friendly it was family friendly it sold and everything else and then all of a sudden another movie called The Thing comes out but again it's they're two know. completely different audiences and I Correct. say make the right movie for the right audience oh, I agree like I agree if, if you're judging The Thing off of the audience for E.T. There, there's something wrong with your critic credentials there yeah. well that's critics in general yeah. so they, they just they wanted a corner they the alien market and they wanted it to be for family yeah. friendly so they can continue to sell toys you know the market's different now you know you have the internet so everybody yeah. can have there's genres upon um, subgenres upon subgenres but that wasn't the case back in the Zach, 80s. did you ever play the ps2 game no neither have i but i heard good things it was I funny have. because Zach, the, the ps2 game was how i actually got introduced to the thing i remember i saw it on the holly the hollywood video store shelf i'm <laughs> like this looks interesting. And, and then I later found out it was a movie. I'm like, oh, I didn't know we yeah. had this. Go check Let me watch um, it. Yeah. Holy shit, this is awesome. And, and then, then, you know. Yeah, I knew yeah. it was a movie. I'd played the game before. And then, uh, of course, uh, John Carver wanted to make it because he was a fan of the 1951 Howard Hawks yeah. movie, The Thing from Another World. 
both movies are based on the short story Who Goes There, but John Carpenter's is the more faithful version from what I hear. If I remember correctly, that movie is the reason why he wanted to become a filmmaker in the first place. It's yeah, just, one of yeah, them. What was he, like th- four or five years old he when he would have been it? a kid. Like, it's yeah. kind of similar he to He was how, young. Yeah, it's kind of similar to how Peter Jackson wanted to become a director because of the original King Kong, and then he went on to, to do, do his, King own Kong. Kong. his own remake. Which was great. Um, and then what's interesting, too, is I, I do want to like track down... Own rebound in basketball. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I do want to track this down but uh, so it's there were and as every movie has there are rewrites like during filming and of course, of course. you never want to go to film with your first draft and all that um, but the uh, a lot of times movie novelizations get earlier drafts of the screenplay so the novelization of the thing actually has a lot of scenes that were never filmed so it's kind of so i do hear there are a lot of different scenes in the novelization compared to the movie so i do want to track down a copy of that and read it that'd be cool um and then i just learned this recently because of an article that zach sent me yeah what was it frozen frozen hell Hell, which is apparently like the short story expanded into a novel and there's going to be an adaptation of that so it's not going to be a remake of the thing it's going to be an adaptation of the novel that is expanded from the short story that the thing was adapted from. So in the same universe. From my understanding, I I am hoping they stay true to that rather than just turning it into another remake of the thing. Yeah, that would be the dumbest. Like, don't remake the thing. The thing is the thing. Leave it. If you're going to do anything with it, (laughs) expand it. Yeah. All right. But Um, as for this, um, I hear that that the novel was actually... That's what came first, but whoever the hell wrote it decided... You know what? There's a little too much. I'm just gonna take out all the useless bullshit or whatever, and then that's how the short story came. Okay. I read the opposite that started as a short story, and then he expanded it. Neither one really surprises me. Yeah, but um, um, I I just hope that they keep the name Frozen Hell, and they don't try to just play it off of like it's a remake of the thing. No, yeah. call it Frozen Hell. Put it inspired by the novel that made the thing or whatever. Sure, do that if you need marketing shit. But yeah. uh, I know. Up. Hopefully, they stay true to that, and they yeah, don't they need pull the hire Zach. I don't know if you guys know about the whole Carrie. Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, that was a shit show. Yeah. Spinoffs are, you know, are good. It's okay to have a spinoff or, yeah. or something that's in the expanded universe. It's okay. The, uh, you know, we've proven it in other areas. You can do it and everything else. Um, the one thing I will say about the thing though is, is I've, I've only seen two movies really perfect the uh, maybe th- maybe three, um, but really perfect chaos in a small space everything else like a the thing is one of those movies that perfects this terrible situation happening in a very very confined space due to you know you can't leave that space yeah. um uh, and then that it's the thing in alien yeah. um I think, uh, I both think... of them both of them have this this wonderful way of of having chaos and paranoia and claustrophobic uh, in this in a very very tight uh, tight space. Obviously, aliens tighter, but it's just no different of Mark, having that feeling. You're forgetting one very important movie as well. Oh, please tell me, Jason X. <sighs> <laughs> the uh, dude, that fucking spaceship was huge, dude. It's and they had a yeah. VR space to escape into as well. Yeah, yeah. Man. Well, that didn't work out so well for everybody. Yeah, especially well, that it worked us. out pretty well for the audience, if you ask me. The. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think you're right, Mark. I, I think um, one of the best things that John Carpenter did was just setting up the atmosphere. Oh, for yeah. That, man. Like, he setting that up, we, and, 
in our in our Antarctica like being like isolated in that outpost and then like introducing this freaking creature on top of that it's just like where the fuck are you gonna go dude? i mean the atmosphere alone was already like freeze to death yeah, exactly. yeah like that already would cause like high anxiety for people and paranoia yeah and then you add this like unknown um creature alien parasite whatever you want to uh, call it it's yeah i mean he, he, he said take it over perfectly. anyone be anyone I mean, and Kurt Douglas, I mean, that's what's his character. His character was all about isolationism yeah. and not trusting anybody and, you know, and the, and not, um, you know, and he's like, I'm just going to stick to the facts of the situation and everything mm-hmm. else. I don't trust anybody. The, I uh, trust me. That's it. And even then, I don't barely trust me. So, um, it, it was just, it's gonna be just a really fucking good movie. The, um, oh, yeah. uh, and, and every way around and how people didn't see that in the back, back in the eighties is beyond me. It's subjective, man. It's just like it's so it depends. It depends on the generation, really. Like if you, I suppose so. If you talk about like um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the original, I think it was pulled from theaters because it was too much for the audience at that point. Well, you know, so like it, it really all depends on the audience. It depends on the generation. It depends on the type of community that is built. It's good. The horror community wasn't really built that strongly in the eighties as much as they just wanted to see how like, far they could push it. Yeah. They were really more excited about like creature features towards the end, yeah. Minus like the slashers, but you know what? You can honestly see that the there's there's horror movies of a different caliber when you really look mm-hmm. at it. I mean, like I think horror is is a lot like metal in in that regard. It is. is. There's a lot of metal out there. Most of it's not that good, <laughs> but 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 every once in a while you get something that exceeds every expectation. And it is truly is an actual piece of art, um, and the thing is definitely deserving of that uh, of that caliber. And actually, I agree with Brendan. The there are scenes in that movie that are unforgettable, and they're good no matter how many times mm-hmm. you see them. I mean, you know, there there's only I, like I can think of several movies that have very important scenes in them that are still good because they're so well crafted. Um, yeah. The Shining has several. Oh. Um, you know, the one thing I was thinking about recently was um, was Empire. Uh, when when he finally says I'm I'm your father and everything else and I, I could still feel the air getting sucked out of the fucking theater. Um, uh, you know I was like this is just a really well done scene. It was the best scene of the whole movie, arguably the best scene of the whole Star Wars you know trilogy or or even the entire um, set of the movie. Mm-hmm. And there's just some scenes in, of in some movies that just stand the test of time. And the thing is definitely in that same ballpark, especially with that scene in particular. It still is tension-filled. Even though you know what the fuck's going to happen, yeah. you know what's going on, it, it still puts you in that mood. Mm-hmm. It then, still uh, gets you in that, in that yeah. feeling. You also have a really good animal performance in there in the first act from the That's dog. That's true. Yeah. Um, special effects are amazing with Rob Bottin. He worked himself practically to death on that movie. Like, there were times when he'd be up for, like, 24 hours at a time, surviving off of a diet of Hershey bars and cans of Coke. And when the movie was finally done, he had to check himself into the hospital for exhaustion. Oh, Jesus. Like, that's how much he worked himself on that. Yeah, definitely. I feel bad for them, though. Like, you know, like, you know, like, work your, like, ass off and everybody's like, eh, the movie's shitty. Yeah. Go fuck yourself. Well, fuck you, dude. I almost died. The um, uh, support your artist, folks. Yeah. Um, uh, then, was uh, his, it was it like his first horror? No, no, he was also was it humanoids, or was it? Uh, he was also on the Howling the year before. 
Oh, the howling and then yeah. the fog um, as well, too. He was, right? he was on the fog. Um, uh, I think he was an act. Wasn't he acting in the fog as well? Or am I mistaken? Maybe. Uh, let's see. For makeup department. Damn dog. He also was on the makeup department for Robocop. Uh, oh, that's Total Recall. He was on the original Piranha. He was on The Fog. He was uncredited for Maniac. He was uncredited for Airplane. He was on The Howling. He was on The Thing. He was on the Twilight Zone movie, which I'm not sure if he was only on it for a specific segment. He was probably on Joe Dante's segments. So he worked with him before mm-hmm. on The Howling. That's my guess. Uh, he was on Legend, which he was nominated for an Oscar for Best Makeup for Legend. Uh, Witches of Eastwick, Inner Space, Robocop, The Great Outdoors, Total Recall, which I do believe he was one of the recipients of the Special Achievement Award for Visual Effects that year for Total Recall. Mm-hmm. Uh, Basic Instinct, Seven, Mission Impossible. Oh, yeah. Uh, was he, he was um, part of the makeup department for Mission Impossible? Yep. He did the and he did the demon makeup in the lounge lizards for Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Awesome. Uh, Fight Club, Charlie's Angels, Mr. Deeds, and one episode of Game of Thrones in season four. Because the, the mobile oh, no. version so, doesn't. Yeah. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna take. Let's see. Season four, the mobile the mobile version of IMDb doesn't say which episode, but. If it's season so you said he worked on Mission Impossible Four as well. The first Mission Impossible. The first Mission Impossible. He's on season. He was on an episode of season four for Game of Thrones. Which um, what did he do like for a mission? Like did he just like create it, skills it, for it, like it, it, uh, it, it, Tom Cruise? I don't know. To, it, it to just, seem taller. I, I, I think I think he did the masks for it. Hmm. Mm. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Um, nice. 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 Yeah. The mobile version doesn't say which episode of Game of Thrones he was on, but. Uh, nice. I see he's so still it's 2014, working. so it would have been somewhere yeah. in season four. Dope. He's still out there working and doing his thing. So still working it. Zach, Brandon, any last minute things on the thing? Um, same screenwriter as Bad News Bears. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I I now know that. The um, uh, well, we now know a little bit more than we did before. The. Uh, <laughs> But you said that like like Bob Ross. <laughs> now we know a little bit more, children. Yeah. It's your world. We're just gonna put a little bush. It's your world. You just paint. You just paint there. We're just living here. It's great. Life is beautiful. The uh, even um, though it isn't. Zach. Well, yeah. Uh, Zach. Anything on the thing? Any more things on the thing? It's a thing. It, it, it is in fact a thing. It is a thing. Yeah, it is a thing. <laughs> um. Uh, so I guess it's my turn. Um, yep. So my favorite, my favorite is actually my first, um, the first John Carpenter movie I ever saw, which was They Live. Yes. Um, uh, which I, I love. Um, it's still one of my favorite things. I actually I saw, I, I the um, I think I saw like the line um, on you know I saw the line one time on like a best quotes line um, and everything else. And my dad, and my dad's like, I was like, what movie is that, dad? He's like, you never saw that movie? He's like, it's, it's called They Live. And, um, it's my dad. My dad actually introduced me to it. He's like, yeah, they like they wear sunglasses and they can see aliens. It's pretty great. You should go see it. I'm like, yeah, I'll go check it out. And it ended up being super awesome. How old were you when you saw this? Um, I was like 13. The, it wasn't that long ago. The uh, uh, aliens and subliminal messages. The um, uh, so it's it's really really big. It's an interesting um, allegory. It's it's super like 
Um, for me, liking this movie is a little weird, um, considering I'm a massive capital, uh, capitalistic fan, um, uh, and, and this is like a very anti-capitalism uh, ca- uh, movie, oh, yeah. um, but it's, it's cool though, it's a, it's a cool thing about being, you know, being involved and knowing something, but nobody else believes you, or they're in on it, um, uh, it's, it was cool to see this, it's one of the first times I ever saw, um, elements of paranoia, and and knowing something is wrong and knowing that you know things about secret societies and it was a first introduction to those type of movies i had never seen anything quite like that um before so it was pretty fucking cool and yeah it's it's there's a there's a couple great fights in it um uh you know roddy piper's obviously in it and yes. who's, who's pretty dope um the fight between him and keith david lasted oh, a long it's, time it's fucking great um uh, the um and very very well done and, um, I mean, just the idea of being able to put on sunglasses and see things differently. Um, it reminds me of, uh, the funny thing is, uh, my Nana had told me, she's like, she'll never meet a, I've said this in another podcast, but you'll never meet a more, a bigger Stephen King fan than my Nana. Read every single fucking book. Actually, Zach and her bonded over, over Stephen King when yes. they, when they talked to each other at a couple parties. And, um... There's a book called Ten O'Clock Smokers um, uh, that I really like, and it's all about a distant time in the future. The Ten O'Clock People. The Ten O'Clock People. Thank you. Um, uh, it, it, but it's about smokers. So the uh, in the distant future, there's only a handful of people that are actually still smoking, and they're only allowed to smoke at ten o'clock every day. And they slowly figure out that the people who actually smoke can see aliens. And see an alien invasion coming upon uh, upon Earth, um, but it's only the smokers that can actually witness the aliens. Mm. So this is very very similar in that regard. And I was like, oh, this is super cool because it's really close to that. And then all the subliminal messages, um, uh, which yeah. you'll see a thousand memes of them today. Um, uh, yeah. You know, and it's it's still you know like he would a bunch of scenes. He would look look at money and then this is your god, um, and look at billboards that have perfume, and then he puts on the glasses and yeah. it says obey. Um, which is super fucking cool. And the funny thing is, I think that movie's more important now than it was ever important back then. There's just some movies that are making points about society that are far more important now mm-hmm. than they ever were. Yeah. Like that, Demolition Man, uh, which we're slowly becoming. Um, uh, the uh, it's uh, We really are. Um, it, like It's movies like that that are way more important now to take a look at. And, you know, and how we consume pop culture. I mean, God, that movie came out now, like, it would be all about fucking cell phones. Like, it, like, and it would be, it would be like this dude can only see this if he uses a beeper or something. They, um, or, like, uses dial-up internet. It, it is based on a short story called Eight O'Clock in the Morning. And, and according to IMDb, which, when movies are so early in development, they're not, it's not the greatest resource, but... According to IMDb, there is an adaptation in development to be directed by Matt Reeves, who did a Let Me In, Cloverfield, Down the Planet of the Apes, War for the Planet of the Apes, and the new mm. Batman. Dope. Um, so it's there may be another adaptation coming Very in cool. the future. Very cool. It'll be interesting. Very cool. But I don't given, know if it'll hold given, up given, as well. Given how weird of a story it is, though, I wouldn't be surprised if this has been in development hell for a while. Oh, I'm sure. Because I, I know 10 O'Clock People, the Stephen King story, that's been in development hell for a very long time. Really? Like, I think at one point, uh, Tom Holland of Fright Night and Child's Play was attached to do it. 
Um, I don't know if that's still the case, but that'd be cool. Yeah. The um, and then I I think Bradley Cooper was attached to that one as well at one point. But that's I, something. I don't, that'd I don't be remember if that was. That would be cool. Which the uh, and obviously too, it has it has one of the best uh, action movie lines of all time. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Uh, like, there's yeah. a scene where he walks into a bank. I'm oh. here to kick ass and no, chew bubble gum, and I'm all, all out, out of, of bubble gum. <laughs> Thank you for fucking that one up, Brandon. Yeah. The um, no, he walks into a bank with every intention of killing a bunch of fucking aliens, and and walks with the sunglasses and a shotgun chewing bubble gum and actually the funny thing is okay there's a funny story behind that um uh, a obviously roddy piper was a famous wrestler and roddy had wrote down a, a shit ton of like wrestling things that he would say and he had like oh, yeah. a huge journal of them and he handed it to john carpenter because john was like coming up with cool shit for him to say he's like oh i have like a notebook of, of <laughs> shit like i i like thought of that like i could save my wrestling career and he handed it to him and he's like it's like this bubblegum thing is pretty cool. Like, let's let's let's, let's do that one. Let's do that. <laughs> um, uh, and I think he actually ran a couple different ones when he walked into the bank. Like, he, he said a couple cool lines beforehand, and it was the bubblegum one that just stuck. Which in the line is is you know um, I've come here to chew bubblegum and, and kick, kick ass, ass, and I'm all, all out of bubblegum. Bubble the uh, so it, it, just a really really solid fucking action movie. Um, it's a little bit more sci-fi suspense than it is necessarily horror, but um, but it's still a solid fucking movie. Uh, there's a lot of re- interesting messages there. There's interesting ways to do that. It has a, a fucking hilarious ending. Um, I don't know if you guys remember the ending. I do. The, um, uh, do you remember uh-huh. the ending? The, like uh, when you say ending, you mean like the very final shot? The very final yeah. shot, which is um, fucking hilarious. Yeah. The, um, uh, there's a, a, a girl um, uh, having sex with an alien and she sees him as a regular human and he turns off the tower and then there's a shot of him of her looking up at him and he's an alien. And, she, <laughs> and he's like, what? Cut. Nice. <laughs> Fade to black. The, um, uh, but it's, it's a really, really good movie. It's, it's another good movie about paranoia and John's really good at paranoia. Um, he's really good with paranoia and like anti-government, anti-authority. Oh, he's super. Like it's, he's super. He's a, escape he's, from New York and escape yeah. from LA. Dude, if, he, if John Carpenter wasn't a director, he probably would have been like in the underground with, yeah. uh, weather weatherman people. Um, he, those are the people um, that did bombings in New York and shit. Talk Ooh. about the uh, fight scene between Piper and uh, Keith David. Um, it's fucking amazing, yeah. um, and it goes on forever. Yeah, it really um, does. Uh, it's like a ten-minute scene. It's at least a ten-minute scene, maybe more. You know, what? the funny thing is, like, recreated blow by blow by the creators of South Park for the Cripple Fight episode in season five. That's amazing. That is amazing. <laughs> but instead amazing. of uh, uh, Roddy Piper trying to get Keith David to put on glasses, Jimmy is trying to get Timmy to put on a hat. The uh, that's amazing. You know, I think I remember. I remember watching that and watching that fight, totally. and it went on for so long. I was, I'd be like, if I was fighting this dude, I would, I'd be, I just forget about what the fuck we were fighting about. It's taken so long for him, for them to beat the shit out of each other. But it feels like a real fight. It that's does feel I like a real fight. It, like that's that's the important thing, and it actually does feel real. Um, and Roddy Piperman has like, and, and that's just I listed off one good line. Um, there, he has dozens of good lines. One I just remember too is when he puts on the glasses. He looks at some lady. He's like, "You are one ugly fucking lady." She's <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> "Excuse me?" The, yeah, fucking looking at you, pizza face. Fucking ugly. The um, uh, that's my phone. The uh, but it's it's a really really fun movie. Uh, it's it is thought provoking, but it doesn't. 
it's not pretentious. No. Like John's really good at 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 getting really strong messages across without being pretentious. Yeah. Um, uh, he's kind of an ass in interviews. <laughs> he's a very angry old, uh, uh, grumpy old man. But in his filmmaking, at least from the ones I've seen, he's pretty good about getting very strong messages that most most people, in, if it was in their hands, it would come out sounding really snobby and pretentious. But somehow he's able to craft it into an enjoyable piece of entertainment that actually has something important to say. Um, they live was one of those was one of those, and it's talking about very. Especially considering the time it came out, it was very heavy in in the Reaganomics years. Mm-hmm. It was a very crazy time. It was the time of Wall Street and you know the movie Wall Street and also the Real Place, and people were making a lot of money and capitalism was cool and yuppies were the thing and like making money was was the big thing. And John's time of being a hippie um, was long behind him, and he saw it as the end of his his era and the end of his world. And that was a Huge response. So, and, and which is what film should be. The um, it should be whatever you're feeling at that time. Yeah, he didn't end it totally. He's still kind of, I would say, still kind of a hippie with his oh, entire yeah, story. Super, like it's super. He grew super. up in the '60s, so like he's you know rebellious and. Oh yeah, super, super, like, super much of the time. It still influences him. Oh yeah, so, no, for sure. The um, um so. And then, of course, you know, John Carpenter's Vampires. That's an important movie too. Uh, that nobody ever. Did. The only thing I remember about that is. Just, James Woods and Daniel Baldwin. One of the Baldwins. Baldwin. 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 They had that cool like contraption with like the um, the stake on the cable yeah. that they could use to like pull vampires out of the oh, sunlight. Oh yeah, I yeah. do remember that. I almost yeah. forgot about that. That was pretty cool. Yeah. The, but that's it. I, that's all I remember about that um, fucking movie. The um, uh, Zach, do you remember, really remember anything of that movie? Nope. The uh, David, you don't remember anything, and Brendan, and you remember anything of that movie? It at was all? a movie. Um, oh yeah. It was nothing like it wasn't any no memorable quotes, nothing like that. That nothing. would like stick me. That would I just like, remember James Woods with a crossbow. That's that's about yeah, it. Yeah, that's all I remember is James Wood. James there, Woods. There are better John Carter movies out there. Like, oh, my, my second favorite of his would be In the Mouth of Madness. That's a good fucking one, and I'm I'm very glad I got another to, to see that. Another another paranoid <laughs> no. one about uh, 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 you know another, yeah. In the third takes part it to of the next level. Apocalypse trilogy. The um that that got that one's way more. Stephen Kingy than any of his other movies. Well, yeah. Um, the uh, in the, is that is that is is that one of Stephen King's novels? No, but it was basically written as like kind of a send up of Stephen King. Yeah, with the exception of him directing Christine, which is actually a Stephen King novel. But yeah. Yeah. the um, I like Christine. The I like Christine too. The, he pulled um, it off like Killer Plymouth Fury, and yeah. like it's pretty straightforward. Pulled it off. For how dumb like, of a premise it is of a killer car, right? Because like there was a movie in the nineteen seventies, nineteen seventy seven called The Car with uh, James Brolin, and I mean it was a well shot movie, but it's a killer car and it was pretty dumb. Uh, Look, if I'm gonna watch any ve- movie with killer vehicles, it's gonna be Maximum Overdrive. The Christine is still better. The um, dude, just just like you could just tell when Stephen King was on so much drugs. Like even yeah, I, even I keep, his I keep writing. trying to tell you guys, Maximum Overdrive is not an enjoyably like other than like the first five. Once the first five or ten minutes are over, like once you're in the truck stop, and the movie doesn't leave the truck stop, it's pretty boring. Like once yeah, mm-hmm. once those first five or ten minutes are done, it's there's really not much fun to be had. That's in. when Stephen yeah. King went into the coke coma. He was partying too much. He had to go to sleep, so he just Trailer. let his, his first AD handle, handle the rest of the movie. <laughs> 
trailer's like, more interesting. I'm tired, man. Like, like dude, I mean, like, even Stephen King, I mean, I know he hasn't, and Brian, you're going to probably know the title of this, but uh, but he, Stephen King had a fucking short story about a washer machine that would eat people. The, the Mangler, and it wasn't a washer machine. It was a laundry press. Oh. It was like one of those industrial laundry presses. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that that is a good example of how Stephen King is a really good writer, and it's like when you're in the moment actually reading it, it's like, this is pretty creepy and gory and awesome and then you see it to put, to put to screen and you, when you're actually looking at it it's like oh this is actually pretty dumb when you're actually seeing it <laughs> they uh that's the magic of stephen king the yes. um uh, the hidden it, misses it, it, the, and, then, and then there's mangler 2 with lance henriksen in which he gets infected by a computer virus called the mangler 2.0 virus and it takes place at like a boarding school and so he becomes like Lance Henriksen becomes like this evil like half man half computer machine thing. Okay, I'm I don't know. <laughs> and then there was Mangler Reborn with Reggie Bannister of Phantasm fame, where he actually rebuilds the original Mangler and it makes him kill people. I like I, I there there is a Mangler thing. trilogy is Did what I, I'm getting. I just at. I just felt bad for we like we, we never got to finish Guillermo del Toro's Hellboy trilogy, but by God, we got a conclusion <laughs> to the Mangler trilogy because <laughs> we all wanted that. Yeah, I mean, well, you Clearly. know, if the if the public demands it, we must have it. The um uh, the uh, I just I couldn't imagine being Stephen King's publicist back in the '80s and having to deal with his coke fueled oh ass. God, the um. Uh, I wrote one about a fucking laundry press eating people. The, uh, <laughs> that was a short story. No. Oh, okay, okay, Stephen. Okay, all right. Uh, I guess we'll we'll do something with it. We'll spin it and everything else. Like I made a part two, the uh, with a computer virus. But he had nothing. He had nothing to do with the sequel. Oh, he didn't. Oh, thank God. The uh, <laughs> thank God. The uh, I'm glad he has some he has some kind of standards. But um, but yeah, they live. It's and, awesome. And he did sue to get his name taken off of the lawnmower man. Because the lawnmower man had nothing to do with his short story at all. <laughs> Interesting. Still a fun movie. I, I do want to eventually do a podcast on the lawnmower man. We will. I am a Pierce Brosnan fan, so there's that. Oh yeah, he's in there. Um, You're not a Pierce Brosnan so fan. So any final John Connor thoughts before uh, Mark's question the podcast? Nope. Um, is there? A movie that either has already been done or has not been done yet and it's it's in some other medium uh, a comic book a um a, a short story a novel or something like that 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 either john carpenter should have been the director for versus somebody else or you would like to see john carpenter direct um uh, another property video game a novel a comic book uh you know whatever thing prequel okay why I mean, he did the first one. I'd just like to see what he would bring to the prequel. Mm. What do you think he That's would bring? Essential. I have a feeling he would not have done it. Well, I don't know. <laughs> Probably not. That's really the only thing I could think of. Like Otherwise, I'd just kind of maybe see what he would have done directing-wise for the other Halloween movies. Mm. Yeah, that would be yeah, That would be the only other thing yeah. I could say. Otherwise, it's no. like, eh? What, what, yeah. what do you think he would have been able to do? I don't know. That's why I'm saying I would have wanted to see it. The, uh, just to see what happens. You yeah. Think, you think it would have been better? Would have been worse? You think he would have gave up halfway through um, and phoned it in? You never know. I know. It's kind of an interesting thought to kind of think about if he directed Season of the Witch, how that would, would we have the iconic Michael Myers in there and just be a totally different fucking story. Oh, most likely so would be like, a completely different story. Would we have the Tom Atkins that we know yeah, and love exactly. today? 
Yeah, probably not. The um, uh, probably wouldn't be that that type of thing. This is a hard question. It is. This a is hard kind of a hard question. question. The, um, uh, but I wanted to keep it somewhat John Carpenter focused. The um, uh, so. Um, I would love to see him actually go back to form uh, of his original stuff and do some westerns, like um, uh, maybe maybe remake any of the old uh, John Wayne movies. I know how much he loves westerns. I would love to see them, or more importantly, I would love to see him mix horror with western. Mm. If there was, you know, if if there actually is a a horror western out there, um, uh, like he should do it. Um, I don't know what that story would be about. I have no idea. But I would love to see a genre that he's very successful with and a genre he loves combined together and see what he can actually do with it. Um, again, I don't know what that story would be. Maybe he should have directed uh, Cowboys vs. Aliens. That would have been interesting. <laughs> the, um, uh, the... I've got an answer. I would have liked to see like an alternate universe where body bags got picked up for uh, to go to series. Um, in 1993, there was a. It was originally a pilot, but for Showtime, but they didn't pick it up, so they made it a TV movie instead, called Body Bags. And John Carpenter directed the first two episodes. Toby Hooper, or the first two stories, and Toby Hooper did the third story. And John Carpenter was also essentially the crypt keeper of the series as well. Nice. But he played like this basically reanimated dead body that was in a morgue. Um, which is pretty cool. Um, so yeah, John Carpenter was essentially the crypt keeper for body bags. Um, so I, yeah, I'd like to see like an alternate universe where that actually got picked up. Cause like basically the, the, the gimmick was in, um, the wraparound it's John Carpenter would be in this morgue and he would see a dead body. And then the story would be how that dead body came to die. Um, and of course, you would have all these dumb crypt, crypt keeper like jokes and everything. But nice. it's John Carpenter, and since he's an actual person, he doesn't have the limitations of a puppet. Um, hey, look, that puppet was very mobile, right? No, it was a good puppet, but it's you know, it's there are limitations to having a puppet on set as opposed to an actual person. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was basically going to be Showtime's uh, competition with Tales from the Crypt, but for whatever reason, they didn't pick it up, which. It's a shame because it is a really interesting TV movie. Fair um, enough. So. The, um, I actually just thought of uh, two that I would love. Mm-hmm. Um, I would love to see him take a, uh, considering how well he did with In the Mouth of Madness, I would love to see him take a crack at Alan Wake, um, uh, the uh, one of my beloved video game series mm-hmm. that uh, that I bothered Zach for years to play, and he will eventually. At some um, point in my life. The um, and then also I considering I'm actually reading right now by Brandon's recommendation the John Carpenter uh, Joker comic, uh, and it's a little bit of a leap, but mm-hmm. I would love to see him do an adaptation of the original comic of The Mask. Mm-hmm. Um, the mask was actually originally intended to be a, a more horror-themed yeah, The comic. comics are pretty gory. Pretty graphic. So yeah. I would actually love to see him take a crack at at putting a horror version of yeah. the mask, very similar to the comics, together. Yeah. Which it was that. originally supposed to be that, but it was actually Chuck Russell's idea to turn it into a comedy. Nice. So yeah, the guy that did Nightmare on Elm Street 3 and The Blob wanted to make it a comedy. 
Eh, well, I didn't say it was a bad yeah, thing. It, it worked. worked. At the it end worked. of the day, he also fought tooth and nail to get Cameron Diaz in it, like because that was her first movie, and the studio just did not want her. She didn't even want to do it. Yeah, the um, uh, you <laughs> she's know, like, I don't even care. <laughs> she didn't. Even, like, she was a, a model in Ford magazine. She's like, I don't give a fuck about that. I want to go to Paris tomorrow. The um, and I, I personally don't blame her. I mean, she's yeah. like, I don't do the acting thing. This takes too long. <laughs> the um, uh, now look at. Well, well <laughs> <laughs> like I don't know what she's doing she's now, retired. but she retired from acting. So she, okay, so she oh, did okay. officially retire. Yeah, yeah. Because I was gonna say, when's the last time you saw her in anything? Uh, she was in some movie about a kid having cancer. That was the last time. I, you Shit, know, mm. that got dark. They, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, quickly. They, um, but uh, yeah. but yeah, no, I would definitely love nice. to see him uh, take a crack at the you know an actual more true to the source material mm-hmm. of the mask graphic novel comic book um, I think that he would be the yeah. perfect person for that and obviously Alan Wake is very similar to In the Mouth of Madness um, uh, in the whole you know shifting between you know being the writer and then ending up inside your story um, is very very similar to Alan Wake and I would love to see him take a crack at it um, uh, and obviously Alan Wake would be more of like a mini series um, I would be very interested to see him do any kind of mini series or any kind of uh, any kind of television mm-hmm. show I think I'd like to cool. see him do something that he actually cares about. Yeah, that'd be good too. Um, yeah, because like after Ghosts of Mars, he just quit, mm. and he has done stuff since then. Like he did a couple episodes of Masters of Horror, and particularly the one that everybody talked about was Cigarette Burns, which when Justin bought the um, the whole first season of Masters of Horror, that was the first one we watched, and it was. Basically, just felt like in the mouth of madness light. Ah. Like if you instead of having it books, it was movies, and it was an, only an hour long, like the episodes are. Um, but it's like for a series that was built on all these horror directors have complete creative control, which was something that he always wanted. Like he famously fought with studios on many movies. Yeah. Um, so it's like to finally have creative control, it kind of felt like he was just going through the motions, and so. Um, yeah, I was very disappointed by it. It wasn't bad, but it's like if his name wasn't on it, you would there would be nothing there to make you think he did it. Fair enough. Um, and then he also did a movie in 2010 called The Ward, which I have not seen, but from what I hear, it's kind of more just like just going through the motions. So um, if, if he ever does come back and direct, I hope it be for something that he actually wants to put his creativity towards. And I hope that whoever does get him to do it will allow him the creative control to do what he wants to do because he did a lot of great work and he got screwed over a lot of times and basically it just the old countdown clock for him just eventually hit screw it i'm done yeah yeah the uh he's one of those guys that's like um uh, you know the uh, uh the old joke you know poets don't be uh, poets and painters don't become famous until after they're dead the um uh yeah, you know the um uh, and that's and that's kind of the trap he's he's fallen yeah. into and it's unfortunate the uh, he's a very very talented guy the um and and being a guy who can pretty much pull something out of nothing um which is pretty fucking impressive all by yeah. itself is is a really good guy and he has a lot of interesting things to say and to be perfectly honest i'm surprised in the climate that we're in we're not seeing more of him the um, i mean like he probably just doesn't want to that's my yeah. guess probably he's just like he probably doesn't give a damn the um well you know i mean and he's certainly you know that's certainly his pride i think he's actually been focusing more on his music lately i think oh okay 
And that works. I mean, he I had a little bit of a hand in the, in the newest Halloween, but... Yeah. yeah. I believe he scored most of it, if not all of it. Mm. So, I mean, hey, maybe he enjoys that. Uh, you know, it's, it's definitely a big thing. Um, I know, Brennan, I know you wanted to talk about um, the Nicolas Cage movie we saw. Oh, yeah. So, briefly, uh, Mark and I saw Color Out of Space a couple weeks ago over at Music Box um, based on H.P. Lovecraft's story about this meteor that crashes into this like farm small town and there's basically this color that just infects everything and hp lovecraft into the world madness ensues um it's actually a story that inspired uh the lonesome death of Jordy verrill's story from creep show the first creep show movie so if mm. you ever watch the first creep show you'll see some similarities between the two stories um, overall, and it's, oh, also Color Out of Space is the return of director Richard Stanley, who did Hardware and Dust Devil and famously got fired from the island of Dr. Moreau, which there is a documentary out there called Lost Souls, which I highly recommend. Um, though I hear the way it was edited, it's not entirely accurate, but it's still a fascinating documentary nevertheless. Um, Marlon Brando's last movie. What's that? Isn't that Marlon Brando's last movie? Oh, no. No? It was later in his career. I think The Score was his last movie. Really? Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, anyway, so Colorado Space starred Nicolas Cage um, at a very Nicolas Cagey performance. <laughs> How much um, Nicolas Cage can you Nicolas Cage? Can you which Nicolas that Cage? Was, and it's produced by the same people <laughs> who did Mandy, which I loved. Mandy was such a great movie. Mandy was great. Um, so you have H.P. Lovecraft, Nicolas Cage, and Richard Stanley. And in all honesty, I thought Nicolas Cage was the weakest aspect of the movie. I agree. Um, There were a lot of times in the first half where Nicolas Cage going full Cage worked. But in the second half, there are a lot of dramatic moments that I felt just... It turned something that would have been like horrific if like somebody like John Cusack or Kevin Bacon were in it. The scenes would have been terrifying, but Nicolas Cage's performance turned it into kind of a comedy. And, um, and, and I caught that too. I mean, like, because there's one, yeah. there's a very specific scene. I'm not going to spoil anything, um, but there's a very specific scene in the attic that that I that is very like it's heavy. It's a heavy, like it's very heavy. It's a very heavy scene to be in. It's very dramatic. It's 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 heartbreaking. Um, it's a heartbreaking scene. And and Nicholas Cage does Nicholas Cage does Nicholas Cage. Yeah. Nicholas Cage turns it into a very campy and, and, and into like, a very campy movie, which isn't a bad thing. Like, it's, it's not a bad movie. It's not. But, but when you hear H.P. Lovecraft and the kind of stuff that he writes, it wasn't necessarily the tone that I necessarily wanted out of an H.P. Lovecraft movie. It still worked in its own way. But when you have a really dramatic, heavy scene and Nicolas Cage, Nicolas Cage's it and the fucking audience laughs really hard when you could have had crap your pants scary instead or even cry your eyes out sad like yeah. you chose to go full on camp. And it, and it was one of those things I went <sighs> the um, and I, I think I turned to Brandon at some point and I'm like, I'm like, like Nicolas Cage is ruining this fucking scene right now. The um, it, it just and, and I love Nick, I really do. I enjoy Nick Cage, and I think Nick Caging, um, later on, um, when it got really crazy towards the end, like that made sense. So, yeah. but there, a, there are moments where his performance really works, like there's a freak correct. out that he had in his car 
oh my god around halfway through where it's, it's like he goes amazing. full Nicolas Cage but it works for the moment crazy crazy it works. really works because you understand the headspace he's in and it, it works um, but yeah I mean, overall I liked the movie I just didn't like it for the reasons I thought I would going in mm-hmm. um, but I do kind of wish that I, I do kind of wish they went a less campy route with Nicolas Cage's performance. I agree, and I think that they, I think um, actually, I you said something very specific, which I wholeheartedly agree. Everyone else in this movie was in one movie, and Nicolas Cage was in another movie, but they were in the same fucking. Movie. <laughs> oh, and the effects were good. Oh, the effects were great. Um, and then just the overall story was really interesting. It, it, it captured me, but Nicolas Cage, you know, it was like that one friend at the party when some when somebody said my mom died. And then he makes a really inappropriate joke, and you go, "Dude, read the room." The um, uh, it felt like that, and and people laughed. But I'm like, I'm like, you just uh, great story, Johnny. Yeah, it, the, the, the story he's telling you is not a funny story. No, at all. It's oh, it's Which of course we we stuck around for a screening of the room right after. Which is a whole Jesus. Um, uh, we'll talk yeah, about that in a second. Um, but but yeah. it, it was one of those things that like that was a. That was a direct directorial choice. The director should have said, "Hey, Nick, let's it, like you were great in this." Scene I, over I here, do think I read somewhere that he wanted the campy performance from Nicolas Cage. Hey. So it's like if that's the movie you want, that's the movie you wanted, and it wasn't bad. Like, no, I, no, I, it wasn't bad. I mean, it's just when you when you hear like we don't get that many big budget or bigger budget adaptations of H.P. Lovecraft and how just. The cosmic horror of Lovecraft, you don't expect campy from it necessarily. And so it's. I wanted something different out of it, but I still liked what we got. No, I, I liked what we got and everything else. But this is one of those things is that there's choices that are made that separates you the difference between a, a good movie and a great movie. Yeah. And some of those choices, and, and I can almost. I can spot them. Like, I can spot in this scene and that scene. Had you made. The opposite choice of what you made, you've now entered the level of amazing movie versus just okay movie. Um, and I think if Nicholas Kate they said, "Hey Nick, let's do a little bit more," you know, um, um, leaving Las Vegas, um, or what is that the movie where he's an alcoholic? Mm-hmm. They got any cat? Yeah, let's do a little bit more leaving Las Vegas in this scene and less Mandy in this scene, and we'll we'll bring Mandy back in just a second. But, like, let's do a little bit more real, dramatic, you know, be here in the moment. And then you can go crazy later. Um, had those choices been made, we would have been looking at a different movie and talking about a different movie. Yeah. But overall, it was a lot of fun. Um, yeah. And then we went to go see the room. And holy shit. We don't need to spend too much time on that. It was a fun time. Very wild audience. Wild audience. You can't hear wild. the movie at all over the oh, audience. Yeah. Fuck no. Um, I, t- I turned to David. Yeah. I was like, if anybody wants an example of what we saw... Just watch the first five minutes of Scream Two, and that'll let you know. <laughs> yeah. That'll let you know the fucking audience that we oh, saw yeah. at yeah. seeing the room. That's that's um, a perfect it's way to describe. Not over exaggerating. That's probably like, you know, underestimating what was going on. The uh, <laughs> I think the only thing the only thing that was different was co- there was costumes in Scream Two. That's the only yeah. difference. Yeah. Everybody um, else's energy was crazy. Before we wrap up, Mark, did you ever see Mandy? I did not. Okay, you should see it. It's really good. Fair enough. Before we wrap up, I do want to answer uh, Mark's question. Oh, Go ahead. I got a few interesting ones. Oh, I can't realize you didn't answer. There's one uh, I want to see like a remake of Vampires instead of um, James Woods and, and Daniel Baldwin. Maybe do 
The Rock and Alec Baldwin and <laughs> kind of see how that chemistry works. Sure, sure. I'm, I'll uh, see it. I'm in. I want to see you say I'm a troll. <laughs> or oh, okay, I could have said The Rock and Kevin Hart, but you know I'm not gonna go. To yeah, actually, I would see that. they do have good chemistry together. I they would, do. But I would see it'd that. It'd be kind of interesting to see. I, I would, mean, I like a horror kind of. Definitely see that. Video. Help me with these vampires. Oh, and, then, and, then, and then we can defy physics like we did in the Fast and the Furious trailer. Zach's like, no. Dude, all I wanted, like, like literally, when I was in the theater the other day, I didn't do it loud enough, but I really should have. When when that when that wheel gets hooked on That's and they the do rope. the string, all I want to oh do is, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> George of the Jungle, go fast now. No, it'd be Vin Diesel doing the voiceover to that. Oh, my God. Georgia the jungle. <laughs> the monkeys are my family. They, uh, These are my new family, though. Oh, my God. Anyway, David, go on, please. Uh, I want to see a remake of They Live, for sure. And yeah, see how true. his take on the modern like technology that we have now. Uh, I want to see um, maybe if we have a time machine, have him direct Blade Trinity. Since uh, one of the professional wrestlers are there. Triple H, I wanted to see how he could, um, you know, perform better with with John Carpenter as a director. Yeah, maybe he has some quirky lines like Roddy Roddy Piper. Yeah, yeah, it'd be pretty. It'd be pretty maybe cool. would be a little better. That'd be pretty cool. So, and then also another remake of uh, Village of the Damned, which was also another creepy one, like um, children alien that can control adult minds. Yeah, so I was bringing that up to Brandon earlier. I think The Simpsons did like an episode yeah. similar to it. Nice. Yeah, they had a, basically there was an episode where the kids had a curfew, but then there was one night where the drive-in was showing a movie that was basically a ripoff of Village of the Damned. So all the kids snuck out of their homes after curfew to see it. And it was more of a spoof of the original Village of the Damned rather than John Carpenter's remake, which yeah. we were talking before you got here, Mark, and David did not realize that Village of the Damned was a remake. Yeah. Nice. Um, I think there was a sequel to the original, too, but I don't quite it remember might that. Have been, might have been. It might have been might called, been. like, Children of the Damned or something like that. I don't know. Maybe. This is going to bother me now if I don't look the, it up. Uh, well, Brandon's looking up anymore. No. no, the main one I really want to see is the remake of Vampires that just replaced the yeah with the with the Rock just and Kevin the, Hart. Yeah, because oh why the fuck not? The um, uh, hey, that combination hasn't been used a billion times already. Hey, dude, if it, 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 if, it if it ain't broke, don't fix it, Jack. Yeah. Children of the Damned is in fact the sequel to the original Village of the Damned. Oh, nice, nice, nice. The um, oh, um, and before we wrap up though, um, I did want to make a recommendation. Uh, I already made it on Facebook. I think I already told you guys. Um, highly recommend checking out the Netflix show Daybreaker. Um, I, it's it, it, I it's wrote, already on my list. I have a couple other shows I need to finish. Definitely, uh, definitely worth your time. I this is the exact quote I wrote on, on Facebook. I was like, if the movie Brick had uh, had a baby with the Fallout game series, and that baby was raised by Deadpool and Mean Girls, you would have Daybreaker. Um, <laughs> uh, the uh, it's. It's so there's it, there is so many elements from Fallout uh, that and it's basically put on a the face of high schoolers. It's all about different factions in the post-apocalyptic world, and there is zombies, cannibals, um, you know, children murder, uh, hilarity, uh, a lot of Deadpool-like jokes in this. I, it's a really good show. It's only ten episodes. Um, but they are longer episodes. So you do get your, your uh, you know, more bang for your buck. 
Uh, I highly recommend it. Uh, Matthew Broderick is in it, and he is uh, the villain, the main villain. And also the main kid from, I didn't realize this until episode 9, the uh, main kid from uh, Project X is the lead in, uh, in that show, the, mm. the big party movie by Todd Phillips. I will watch that movie all the way through one day. Um, it's like watching a car wreck. Uh, I don't care for it. The uh, I know. I will. I'll, I'll I'll take like a spinoff, like little micro series starring the ten year old security guards. <laughs> other than you do that, love those security guards. Uh, it's they're the only thing that I remember from the movie, and they're I the only you. thing I cared about. I hear you. The uh, yeah, it's that movie is definitely it's a, the best way to describe it is like watching yeah. a car wreck. Like you shouldn't look at it, but you can't look away. Um, uh, the uh, it's it's basically a party that starts with five people playing Xbox yeah. and ends with a house burning down while Metallica's <laughs> battery plays in the background. It's uh, not as cool as it sounds. Um, yeah. uh, Brandon and I. Your your description is way cooler than the actual movie. <laughs> anyway, uh, I definitely recommend Daybreaker. Uh, check it out. It's it's a lot of fun. It's a nice. fun series. Uh, it uh, has some good horror elements in it. Um, uh, but uh, but overall, it's not really a horror type thing. But uh, definitely recommend it. Check it out. Cool. Oh, final, so is that it? Final thoughts, I guess. Yeah. But we got a shorter podcast today. We're at an hour twenty four, and I'm sure a couple minutes will be edited out by the time yeah. Zach's done with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not bad. Yeah. No, 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 not too bad. Not bad. Uh, David, since you started, you can... Uh, yeah, the uh, final thoughts, that was a good question for the podcast, is the, what if John Carpenter was the director of Alien? What if John Carpenter was the director of Friday the 13th? Well, How would are, that turn okay, out to David, be? David, we already got John Carpenter as the director of Alien, and it was called Dark Star. Touche, sir. Touche. Touche, sir. The, um, so yeah, Zach? Squirrels. Cool. Brandon? Um... Yeah, it's, I like John Carpenter as a director. I'm glad we were able to talk about some of his movies. Um, yeah, I recommend The Thing and The Mouth of Madness. They Live. Escape from New York is a fun one. Assault and Precinct 13 is a fun one. Uh, Christine. Yeah. There's a lot of good stuff. Oh, yeah. The, uh, so, yeah. And then, uh, and then uh, just a little bit of business. Uh, we do have, uh, do have our, our most recent podcast is up, uh, Making the Smiling Man. About our previous episode, and also the one before that with Dennis, um, uh, it was awesome. If you want to hear us talk about monster penises uh, for a while, it's alien great. penises, alien penises, and uh, you know it's it's pretty great. It's a lot of fun. Um, uh, and then also, of course, our um, uh, it did come out a little bit ago, but if you haven't already checked it out, uh, Live Nightmares episode three, The Smiling Man is out now. Please check it out. Um, uh, like, share, subscribe uh, to everybody that you know. Um, and then we are on all of the social medias uh, at Midwest Horror Network uh, on YouTube, Facebook, Anchor, uh, which is here the audio version, Spotify, Instagram, and then Slasher. Z- and then I was going to pass it over to Zach that we were on Slasher. Zach handles the Slasher account uh, for obvious reasons. Uh, please give us a like, share, and subscribe. Uh, we have some pretty exciting stuff coming up very, very soon. We will keep you all in touch. Uh, and that is it. And don't forget to support us on Anchor. Even just like a couple do- a dollar or two a month helps us out immensely. Oh, Anything we make goes right back into the content we create. Absolutely, absolutely. Those Living Nightmare episodes are pretty expensive. So, um, so thank you so much uh, for listening. We appreciate it. Yeah. We will see you next time, y'all.